Amen. So thank you for being here this morning. How's your, how's your joy this morning? Hopefully after those songs you are feeling, hey, you know, just reminded to have joy in every circumstance. I was reminded of that this past Friday night is Lisa and I had a date planned and which is, you know, around our house with so many people, it's difficult, but we make sure that we, we have that time that we do some things together, just she and I can get out and and take dates and whatever. So a friend of mine that I used to play music with for a long time ago, years ago, uh, is uh, he lives down around Midway, Kentucky, and he plays in a couple different groups. And, and one of those plays at a place in Frankfurt once a month. And I kept saying, place, I think, uh, I guess the, the band is called Catfish Alley. So uh, anyway, we're going to go down and see Catfish Alley. We're going to have some dinner, some music. So I called ahead because they said that uh, you know, it gets pretty full when they have music. So we had a reservation for 6.30. We were rolling down the highway, making good time. On I-64, apparently somebody decided it would be a good place to leave a bungee cord, and I ran over it. So, so we're making great time until then. And so all of a sudden I hear, poo, 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 in the back tire, like, what in the world? I pull over and uh, find out that there's this nice metal hook with a bungee, or half a bungee cord now because it broke, attached to it. So needless to say, flat tire set us up. Well, okay, I think six thirty, we get over, we'll change the tire, change the spare, all that. We're good. We'll be late, but we'll we can still get there. We can have dinner. We can enjoy some music. All that's great, right? No. Because my truck that has one of those hoist things, you gotta crank it down, it's got this cable, lets the it lets the spare down. So I start letting it down and the hoist the cable jams. It won't come all the way down, so I can't get it off the cable. So what are we going to do now? You know, so, so anyway, plans changed. It all worked out. We, we called roadside assistance, part of our insurance, you know, and he came, and guess what? He had some bolt cutters. He got that thing snipped off there and uh, got the tire on quick. But by this time, uh, they were playing music from 6.30 to 8.30, so we were 10 minutes from the place we were going, if that. So we get there, guess what? No more music. However, we did get to, they'd had some food left. We got to sit down, have some dinner, and visit with my friend. So, so it wasn't a lost night, and you know, it was great. Now, here's the thing. Why did that happen? I don't know. It happened because somebody dropped a bungee cord, and, and it was me, not someone else. So thankful for that. No one got hurt. Thankful for that. And we still got to have a good evening. So, so in the midst of it all, you know, Lisa said, you know, there's one of the things about you that I appreciate, that you, you're pretty even-tempered. You don't get upset about much of anything. And so, you know, even in that moment, although there's frustration because our plans change, it's still finding joy in the Lord. And, and that was a difficult thing, especially about the time that that hoist got stuck and I couldn't get that tire off. But, you know, it was not a good thing. And of course, then in the meantime, as I'm laying under the truck trying to pull the tire, guess what? Downpour. Psh, so from here down, soaked. You know. uh, so, but anyway, it's just one of those things that happens. It's all good. It turned out to be a good evening, and Lisa, always, my, always my, my, my temperature gauge, you know, she keeps me in check and said, you know, at least I'm here with you. So, well, you know what? There was a reminder, smack in the face, don't get too frustrated about it because this is just stuff, and guess what? Catfish Alley will be playing again, and there will be other times and all that good stuff. So God is good even in the midst of things like that, and it's hard for us when things are not going our way or, or when our plans are messed, especially if you're a planner like us, uh, I say me, and Lisa, Lisa, as I've told you, she's much, much more of a planner. Every 15, I'm more, you know, in box, and she's more every 15 minutes. But, uh, but still, when things don't go your way, we can still find joy from Christ because 
we choose Jesus. You know, and that kind of leads into what we're talking about as we finish up our series today about the cost of discipleship. When we choose Jesus, there is a cost associated with that. So we started off a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the rich young ruler. And if you remember this guy, he came to Jesus looking for something that money couldn't buy. And he heard about something that Jesus had, and he shows up, and then he goes away disappointed because Jesus says, look, Jesus saw his heart, you know. He said, look, go sell everything you've got and then come back and follow me because he knew that his love of riches and his love of collecting things and having stuff was greater than his love for Jesus or greater than his love and his desire to follow Christ. And then last week we talked about Jesus asking us the impossible but expecting our best. You know, follow me, be a, a, a disciple of Christ and we understand that we're not perfect. And we've got, uh, we talked about the example that we get from the 12 apostles that Jesus called. These guys, not seminary trained, rough around the edges, and yet Jesus called them to change the world. The beginnings of, the Christian, uh, of Christianity and beginnings of Christian church were founded from these guys. So today, what we want to do is move to that last phase, and we want to talk about what it means to understand God's call in our lives, and that each of us, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a personal call that's each and every one of us individually, and we are to honor His call to us by being committed to be a disciple of Christ. So let's take a look at our focal passage from today, which comes from the book of 1 Peter. It is chapter 2, picking up with verse 9. And it says this But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I want you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that you have called us, that you have chosen us, and that we, when we accept your call, Father, that we have set us apart Father, help us as we seek to honor you. Uh, help us as we seek to, to be the best at being a disciple of Christ that we can be. Father, we know that life is not easy, but we must choose joy as you continue to bring us out of the darkness, the darkness that we were in before we received you. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that our hearts and minds are turned to you as your spirit moves among us in a very real and a very powerful way. It's in Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen. Well, first and foremost, when God calls, you know, He is the creator of all things, right? And God calls, and He is calling us to Himself. As Peter said here in this passage that we just read, he said, we are a people for His own possession. So we, if we are His creation, that means that who do we belong to? Whose are we? We are His. We are God's. You know, and, and then in John twelve thirty two, we find that Jesus said, and of course he's talking about his time that was coming as he's speaking to his disciples, his followers. He was talking about his time that was coming, the end was coming, the, the, uh, the crucifixion 
uh, subsequently followed by the resurrection. He said, And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Now, again, when he made this statement, the disciples had no idea what he was talking about. But when we look back, we know that Jesus, following the resurrection, spent some time with his disciples, 40 days, and then ascended back into heaven. This is what he was talking about. He said, if I'm lifted up from the earth, we'll draw all men unto myself. You see, Jesus did what we could not do as he conquered death and the grave and then rose back into heaven to be seated at the right hand of our heavenly Father of God, the creator of all things. Jesus just simply draws others to himself because of what he has done for us. He was lifted at the ascension. He is drawing all unto him. Now, think about it this way. Well, you say, well, there's a lot of people that really don't know Jesus. A lot of people that, that haven't given their lives to Christ. There are a lot of people that don't claim any kind or make any kind of Christian claims on their lives whatsoever. You ever spend any time on social media? You ever spend any time on Facebook? How much conversation do you see that really centers around Christ, even when people aren't necessarily uh, touting the good news of Jesus? But yet, religion and these ideas of who Jesus is, they're really at the center of many discussions that go on. You know, someone who has, atheistic, has an atheistic claim that there is no God, still, this idea that we're even having this talk about whether there is or there is not a God, it's because we have this innate desire within us to seek out more, to seek out our Heavenly Father, because it's how we were created. It's just that most people don't recognize that desire to actually seek. So there's something within us naturally that draws us to Christ. So, so again, he's drawing, although many refuse to believe in his existence or that he, he, said he is who he says he is. But we know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that Jesus is the way to the Father and that through his sacrifice, God calls us all. The sacrifice that Jesus made, his resurrection as well, and as the ascension. You know, God and only God. He is drawing us. And, and Peter goes on to say he is drawing us because we live in dark times. You know, the thing about it is Peter's talking about stuff going on here in the first century. The godlessness that reigned in the first century. Now stop and think about that in application to where we are today, right? Don't you think that, that we more and more and more see more godlessness that exists, even in our country, even in this nation that was founded upon godly principles, uh, more and more people are, are becoming a God, you know, godless people. We're becoming more and more of a godless nation. And really so much more opportunity for us who are followers of Jesus Christ to take a stand. Uh, so much more for us as, our, as followers of Jesus Christ to shine the light into the darkness uh, because God brings us out of the darkness as he draws his, us to himself. And again, we live in dark days, amen? You know, th these are some dark times, and they're getting darker. Uh, but it is important for us, if you claim the name Christ, if you are a true disciple of Christ, it's important for us to not be consumed by the darkness. So that means that we accept our call as one called by God to point others towards Jesus. Sound like a good thing? Anybody? Are you with me? All right. Again, dark days. We have this responsibility because we are called by God. We are His called 
people. So what are some responsibilities that we have as followers of Jesus Christ? One of the things that we've got to do is we've got to declare praises to Him. Is God worth praising? Is God worth the adoration that we give Him? You know, we need to be thankful each and every day. How has God blessed you? And, and I want to tell you that life's not perfect. Things are going to happen. There, there, are, there are tragedies that are going to face. There are, you know, stuff that we can't even begin to imagine that friends have to go through, that we have to go through. Um, just, just the horrible difficulties. Sickness, illness, all of those things. But what we have to do is we have to begin to put things in context of whose we are and how we are created. We need, again, understand that, that this life, it's temporary. What we know in this life is temporary. It really doesn't make any difference how long we live in this life. It's temporary. And so when we begin to start seeing things from an eternal perspective, when we try to see things from a godly worldview and understand, again, this is all temporal. It's temporary. Scripture talks about having a, uh, you know, a tent.
There we go. Sorry about the interruptions, but uh, anyway, we'll <coughs> I may not be able to move as much. But anyway, we'll do this way. All right. So anyway, temporary tense. We don't think about our own lives as being temporary because our idea, again, when we look at lifespan, 70s, 80s years old, both of my parents are 80 years old, still alive. I'm blessed that they are still around. I had a chance to go visit my dad last weekend, so it was good to, to visit with him and catch up. You know, so it was, it was great that I was able to do that. So still 80 years old, they're, they're doing my mom. She's 80. You think she was 60. You know, the way that she runs around, she stays busy. She will, I call her up 10 o'clock at night, she's still awake. What are you doing, Mom? Baking a cake. Oh, yeah, well, my friend so-and-so's got a birthday tomorrow. You know, so that means that she's not finishing up till like, 2 o'clock in the morning. In the meanwhile, she's got Murder, She Wrote on the TV, you know, all these kinds of things. So, <coughs> so but that's, that's just Mom. That's how she operates. She's always doing something for someone, and I think it's kept her much younger. You know, it keeps her active, even at 80 years old. You would, you would never know um, that, that Mom was, was 80. So... So we don't live that way. We don't think about this being temporary. But the reality is, whether you live to be 80, 100, 120, uh, you know, it, whatever, all of that pales in comparison to eternity. So when we start thinking about God, when we start thinking about eternity, and we start thinking about things in, in that, that way of thinking, then suddenly 100 years is not that big a deal here you know so again starting start thinking in terms of eternity god is calling us to him god is is giving us our time then on this earth to use our tent our temporary shelter to get the best out of it now that means that we declare praises to him that means that we live as if we belong to him this time however long we have it does not truly belong to us uh, so we live for him. And along the way, that means that we learn to, to give of ourselves. We give of our time. We give of our, our talents. You know, uh, we give for time. We spend time in prayer. Hopefully we're spending time in Bible study. Time, just it, it, Each one of you had to get up and get ready and be here this morning, right? No of you just, none of you just like showed up, right? Just roll out of bed and just, just walk on over. You know, no, you spent some time getting, you know, some of you are close, right? But, uh, but you probably spent at least a few minutes getting up, getting ready, making plans, preparations to be here and to be a part of this worship service. It does take time. And then talents, you know, how many of you have talents that God has given you that you can use in his service? Anybody? Okay, now, I see four of you. There are more than we have more than that, you know, just on the praise team. But, you know, when we say talents, it doesn't necessarily mean getting up and leading worship or singing or playing an instrument. Uh, there are all kinds of talents, all kinds of things that we can do in service to God. And they might not be the supposed upfront giftings, you know, but there are many, many ways that we can use our time and our talents uh, for God. We need to always think about what God has given us and continue to use uh, those abilities I throw my glasses in the floor. There's no easy way to make that transition, by the way. Uh, thank you. See, I had talents you didn't even know about. <laughs> so talents, you know, <coughs> we think about treasures. We've all been 
you know, if, if you're making, if, you're, if you have a job, you're working, if you're bringing in any kind of income at all, then, then you've been given talents as far as, or treasures as far as money is concerned. And, and we don't spend a lot of time talking about money because I, I tell you, we've been blessed here because this congregation has been a very giving congregation. Is, do I get an amen over there? Brenda, Brenda's our treasurer. Uh, so I get, now she's not, she's talking to Mike and Mike's saying, uh, honey, she's, he's talking to you. You need to answer him. Say, so we, we got a lot of giving folks here, right, Brenda? Amen to that. So uh, God has blessed us, and, and you, you people are, are good givers. You know, I've, I've been in churches where that's not always the case, where, where God is, uh, you, know, you know, God has blessed folks, but they're not always, you know, being quite so giving with what God has given them. And it's, it's awesome to see how giving we are as a church. So I don't spend a whole lot of time talking to money, but it, uh, but it is a good reminder that God gives so that we can give away. And part of that means giving back to the ministries of the church, giving back to supporting what God is doing right here. Now, what's the term when we think about giving and the expectation of giving? What's the term that we read in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament? What's that term? Anybody? Starts with a T. Tithe. We read about the tithe, right? Now, tithe literally means one-tenth or ten percent. So, however you figure that out, it's a great place to start. Now, when you move to the New Testament and talk about New Testament giving, it begins to look very different. And yes, we hear about tithes and kind of the expectation that comes from the Old Testament, but now what happens is that with uh, this this new way of thinking, this new understanding of giving, uh, the idea with the New Testament is that we give whatever we can. We give as God leads, and we give it cheerfully. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver, it says. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the Greek text, when it says cheerful, it says that we are to give hilariously. In other words, we laugh all the way to the offering box, you know. That, that's what that's really talking about. But, but that's the idea, that what we have, it's just, we're just borrowing it anyway because it all belongs to God. So seek what God is asking of you to give. And, and I know that we all find ourselves in different places financially, and that maybe some of us have been struggling, and, and, and maybe that we think about that 10% as a mark, and, and maybe we can't get there. Maybe, maybe we're struggling because uh, we, we've lost a job, you know, and, and in these uncertain times, it's happening. People getting laid off or getting put out of work because businesses are closing and so on and so forth. So maybe you've lost a job, and you don't feel like that you can do that, and that's okay. Uh, you know, again, pray about it. See what God is telling you, and what's God telling you to give? How is it that God is leading you to give? But I, I do know that when we give, God blesses us. Now, I'm not purporting that we get into prosperity gospel stuff because, because I really don't believe that, you know, if you give your $5,000, see, God will bless you tenfold. You know, I, I don't think that's what we're talking about, but I think God will bless you. It's just that it might not be a monetary blessing that God's going to get back. Just the fact that you've given and knowing that you are uh, doing what God has asked you to do and knowing that that's going to bless someone or, or bless a ministry, that is a blessing in and of itself or should be, right? So, so again, that when we talk about giving, we give as God has given to us. Now, we need to understand that because of um, the world that we live in, we are pretty much just aliens and strangers. If you think about it that way, we are just passing through. I'm not talking about like the aliens from, from Planet 52 or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean alien as in stranger in a strange land, foreigners, those kinds of things. You see, we are in the world... I'm going to move back down here now. i got some freedom. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. You ever heard that before? Anybody? Anyone? 
You ever heard that before? In the world, but not of the world. It's like, what in the world are you talking about? And what does that really mean from Scripture? What does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? We can't help but be in the world because we're physically born into this world. But here's the thing. We are physically born into the world, but we do not have to buy into the ideologies that the world, the secular world, teaches us. So it's about having... You know, taking off your your, uh, secular worldview goggles and putting on your biblical worldview goggles and trying to understand and see things from a godly perspective. And that means that when we are called, we are God's people. He has called us. He has chosen us. and, And that means that we're an alien, a stranger. We're just passing through. Anybody remember the old gospel song, Wayfaring Stranger? Oh, my goodness. Are we in Kentucky? Because I thought for sure everybody would know that Johnny Cash actually does a cover of that song. Trace Atkins, lots of country folks, all from further south than here, I guess, have, have covered this song. And it says, I'm just a poor, wayfaring stranger just traveling through this world below. You see, this is not our home. Uh, this is not our final answer. And despite what some of the best-selling books out there say, this is not our best life now. Okay? See, that best life comes when we leave this world and we move into eternity with our Heavenly Father. And then, of course, this world will become new. It will become resurrected and, and the brokenness will be fixed. But we at the time are physically present in this world. And that means that we as believers are to live our lives set apart. Again, don't buy into the, what the world tells you, what culture tells you. We are to be defined by whose we are. You see, not where we are, not our physical location, but we are to be defined by whose we are. My dad's name is George, and growing, and, and my dad retired after 46 years from the gas company. I started off as Western Kentucky Gas Company, although we lived in Danville, very much central Kentucky, but still Western Kentucky Gas Company. Went through some changes over the years, eventually uh, got bought out by a big, huge utility company out of Texas called Atmos Energy. And, uh, yeah, but still, because the, the company was absorbed, he still con- they gave him continuous, um, uh, I guess, employership, employeeship uh, of being in the same company all of those years. And so all the benefits and all the retirement benefits and all the things that he bought into. But because he worked for the gas company, because back in the early days, there was a lot more personal service. You know, you needed something uh, you call the gas company. They'd come and they'd fix your gas furnace. They'd fix your gas stove. They, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so he spent a lot of time in, in people's homes and, and so on and so forth. And uh, he knew lots of people. He knew so many people he couldn't remember them all. I remember riding down the street with my dad. And, you know, we'd drive down the road and he'd drive by and he'd, somebody'd wave. He'd wave somebody. And I'd go, who was that? And he'd go, you know, I can't remember the name. <laughs> And that happened more than once, you know, because just so many people. But, but everybody knew George. So needless to say, as I grew up, I was not always Brian. I was George's son, you know. My identity was kind of tied up in who he was because as my dad, a lot of people know him and said, oh, yeah, that's Brian, that's, that's George's son. Even when I got to high school, there were some teachers who knew my dad. And it's like, oh, are you George's son? You know, those kinds of things. And so I had to do some things that he hadn't done before as I kind of built my own identity. And then, you know, then he could be Brian's dad for a while. But, but so much of that growing up is you are, you know, George's son. That was kind of my identity because of whose son 
I am. But you see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we all need to be identified by whose we are. That means that we are a child of the King. We are a child of the Heavenly Father. That's who we are, and we need to live in such a way. That means that we have to learn to put aside our worldly ways. That means we have to learn to begin calling sin a sin. You know, and in our day and age, it's so easy to buy into, oh, well, you know what? Those ideas about marriage, well, well they're archaic, you know, and, and we need to move things into the new culture. No, no, marriage is defined in Scripture by God. It's laid out. This is the expectation. This is the anticipation. And, and so we can say, oh, no, no, we don't need to follow that because, you know, we're a modern culture, so we can change things and rearrange this, not just marriage, but so many things that we want to say, oh, well, that's old, and those are antiquated ideas. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to learn to call sin, sin. When it's outside of God's will, when it goes against what God's Word teaches, then it's sin. You see, sin, that's just all there is to it. We can't say, oh, well, it's a little bit of sin. Oh, well, it's just a tiny sin. No, sin it's sin, and sin separates us from the will of God. It's, it's what keeps us from being in God's presence. You see, sin is the thing that will condemn us to hell without Jesus. See, Jesus becomes our go-between, our mediator. But we have to stop making excuses or allowances for ungodly behavior in our lives. You know? It's like, oh, well, you know, that's the way it was. That's the way that I was raised, or that's what I saw growing up, you know? I love my dad, but he, uh, although he's mellowed in his older age, he, uh, he had a quick temper and uh, quick to fly off the handle. Now, I would say that he got it honest because he got a, every bit of meanness and orneriness from his mother because Granny Teeter could, you know, wow, snap at a, you know, just like that. So, and his sister, Pat, we had actually a talk with my Aunt Pat the other day, and, and she said the exact same thing. Like, yeah, you know, George got all the, all the granny's meanness, you know. So, uh, but, but, you know, he's going to mellow it out. But the thing is, is that knowing that, it's like, I didn't want to be that way. I saw that, it would have been easy for me to follow along the steps and, and develop a quick temper and just fly off the handle about every little thing. But fortunately, my mom was the other side, and she was the chill, laid-back one. And that's the one I tried to model. And fortunately, I got her chill, laid-back DNA, I think. So, so that was easier for me. But I'm just saying, we can look at other patterns, and we can follow them along, and we can make excuses. Like say, well, my dad had a short... I could just say, well, my dad had a short temper, so you know, that's why I fly off the handle so easily. But that's not an excuse. When we see something and we decide that it's not the way we want to be, then we need to put God at the center of everything and set godly priorities to help us overcome anything that is not godly or not Christ-like in our life. So, you know, we have to ask ourselves, how, how important is our own spiritual growth and development? How important is that to you? You know, if it's important to you, then we'll learn to call sin, sin, and we'll learn to stop making excuses and set those godly priorities. What about your family's spiritual growth? Is that important to you? You know, if you're a parent, if you're, uh, you know, the, the dads were called to be spiritual leaders in the homes. You know, moms were, were called to set godly examples in the home and train up our child in the, in the way of the Lord. Are those things important? Are those things happening in our homes? Again, we've got to learn to be this godly example. What does that mean? Well, ideally, we should strive to be spiritually impeccable. That means that our behavior is beyond reproach, that, that you can't find any fault. 
Now, that's Christian perfection, and that's what we should strive for. Are we perfect? No. Are we going to make mistakes? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that we give up trying. We don't say, oh, well, I can never get there, so I'm just not going to go. I'm not even going to try. No, no, we seek our godly perfection. We seek to put God first in all things each and every day. That means that we have to glorify God in all that we do, that God should get the glory in everything. Let your good deeds be seen by men. You see, we might be accused of wrongdoing, but what happens is if you've sought to live this life, even if you've made mistakes, your character will stand for itself. And don't we need people of good character in a world filled with all the darkness that we have today? We need people who stand opposed to what's going on in the world. You know, think about it this way. If you want to be that example and be that character in your home, does your family see you living that out? Does your family see you reading the Bible or praying? Do you even pray before meals? You know, even that's kind of a a lost uh, practice for for many people. Um, You know, I've had, over the years, there have been people who would come up to, to me and my family and say, oh, it's so great that I see your family praying before the meal. So people see, people recognize, you know, we don't necessarily think about it, but, you know, it takes a couple of minutes. But if you're serious about being an example, being a godly example, then why would we not take, uh, even if we're eating out someplace, why would we not stop and, and take a moment and thank God, be, be appreciative and thankful for what God has given us? And of course, this idea, if we're talking about the cost of discipleship, we have to talk about the fact that Grace is costly. Last week I mentioned uh, a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who uh, was opposed to Nazism during World War II, actually came to America, went back to Germany, and later died a a martyr's death. But he wrote this book called called The The Cost of Discipleship. Again, I mentioned him last week, but here's a quote from Cost of Discipleship. It says this, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow upon ourselves. Now think about that for a moment. The grace that we put upon ourselves. And who are we to give grace to ourselves? Um, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. You know, God forgive me, but I'm not really sorry for what happened. I just know it's what I'm supposed to say. It's about baptism without church discipline. You see, we can go through the motions of accepting Christ. We can go through the motions even of being baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. But does that mean that we have changed? Has there been any change in our lives? We can have communion without confession. You know, again, what are the things going on in my life that I need to get rid of? What are the things I'm doing that are uh, putting a black eye on Christianity? Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Uh, There's a lot of stuff packed in this quote right here. But unfortunately, for many people today and and many American churches today, we've bought into this Americanized version of Christianity and discipleship. And and we've kind of watered it down because we don't want to offend anybody. But yet the Bible teaches us that God's word will be offensive to those who are without Christ. Another quote from Bonhoeffer, now this one doesn't come from Cost of Discipleship, but it's another quote from him. It says, cheap grace is the idea that grace did it all for me, so I don't need to change my lifestyle. The believer who accepts the idea of cheap grace thinks he can continue to live like the rest of the world instead of following Christ in a radical way. The Christian lost in cheap grace thinks he can simply enjoy the consolations of his grace. And again, that would be without making any changes. You don't feel the cost. 
You see, but we need to understand that Jesus gave his life. Do you understand that? Jesus was born. He was perfect. He came from heaven down, born of a, of a virgin, uh, lived as a man, physically lived, but yet was still God. And then at the end, he gave his life up on Calvary. He died, literally died, to do something that he didn't have to do, Physically, he was able to keep that from happening, or spiritually, he was able to keep that from happening because of who he is. But he recognized the need because in God's system, there has to be sacrifice. Jesus became that perfect sacrifice once and for all, for each and every one of us to do what we could not do. He gave his life so that grace would be free. You see, grace is free, but it's not cheap. As John Bonhoeffer just pointed out, it's about following Christ in a radical way. Do you think about Jesus as a radical? You know, I think sometimes we think of people as being radical. They're like, oh, those are, those are crazy people. Those are people that are way out there with all these crazy ideas, and they got all these radical way of thinking. Well, let me tell you something. When Jesus came along, the ideas that he was bringing to the Pharisees, Jesus was crazy. He's a radical. Oh, these are crazy thoughts. These go against everything that we know. These go against everything that we've been taught and everything that we've been teaching all of these years. They saw him as being crazy. So Jesus was radical to the culture that he lived in. You see, the Christian lost and and cheap grace thinks they can enjoy the consolations of his grace, but without any sacrifice, without being radical, without being radically transformed. You see, the free grace of God costs us our very lives. But but the exciting thing is, we need to understand that the exciting thing is that giving up our lives for God is never to be a mournful moment. You see, it's easy for us to say, oh, well, you know, before I found Jesus, I used to do this and that. Well, I miss those days. I miss those days of getting drunk on Saturday nights and puking my guts out on Sunday morning. Who could really miss that, right? But, you know, we miss those things, those, those things that we used to do with those lifestyles that we used to have. It's like, oh, remember those, the good old days? And for some reason, we remember them fondly, even though the reality was there's nothing like waking up and you don't even know where you are or where you've been. We remember that fondly? But, but you know, that's kind of how we often, these things, these lifestyles, these things we get embroiled in, we might remember that fondly, but in retrospect... How many of you ever had one of those memories, a childhood memory, and you remember something being so great and so wonderful? Maybe it was a restaurant in your hometown, and you've been away for years, and then you go back, and you go to that restaurant, and you order your old favorite, and you take a bite, and you're like, ugh, it's not like I remembered it. You see, because sometimes the memory is greater than the thing itself. And so we remember fondly, and it was really the nostalgia wrapped up in it. And that's what we really remember. That's what really made that taste so good. But the reality was, maybe it really just isn't that good. But it seemed great, and we remember. And I think that's what happens. Sometimes maybe we have a fondness for the way things used to be, for whatever reason. I think that's the sin nature within us. You see, a true disciple of Christ finds joy in the Lord, finds joy in serving God. So again, how's your joy today? We talked about it, I think. In the beginning, I think we decided that our worship was pretty joyful. So I hope that your joy has continued. But you know, it's easy to let the circumstances and events of this broken world get us down. I mean, you know, whoever thought that we'd have to try to find joy in a pandemic, right? It's hard stuff. It's not easy. Life has changed. You know, but joy comes through a willful servanthood as God's children. 
A true disciple actively seeks God and actively seeks ways to serve. So the cost of discipleship, well, it's free, it's grace, but it's not cheap. That means that we give up our lives, we give up the things that we want in favor of what God wants. Now here's the thing, when we're seeking God's heart, much of what we want is really a lot of what some of the same things that God wants. But God wants to cleanse ourselves of the the bad ways, the evil ways, the things that don't reflect Him, and to be more Christ-like in all that we're doing. And that's where we find true joy. See, we belong to Him. In this world, we're aliens and strangers. We're in the world, but not of the world. So that means we need to live in such a way as we embroil ourselves in the ideas of costly grace. It means the world a difference to you, to your family, and to everyone that you come in contact with. You know, part of that, for us, for living out this grace that God has given us, it might mean offering someone else grace. Because let's, let's face it, the world was crazy enough before the pandemic came along, right? Anybody disagree with that? Or anybody agree with that? The world was crazy enough before the pandemic comes along, right? And so now... People don't know what's going on. There, there's a lot of uncertainty. People are on the edge. And you go out and about. I think I've seen more erratic behaviors since all of this. Just the people driving. I don't know. Maybe that's the way it is in Boone County. Maybe it was already that way. I'm not sure. People are so used to swerving past Amazon trucks. You know, so maybe that was already the case. I don't know. But I've seen people be more erratic in their driving. I've seen people almost come to blows in the parking lot over whether somebody has a mask on or not. I've seen all kinds of crazy things happening. Stuff that we didn't worry about before, stuff that we weren't concerned about before. Why? Because people are more on edge. Because life is more stressful for so many people. So as followers of Christ, that means that we understand there's this pandemic going on, but we understand that God is good, and we choose joy even in the midst of the pandemic. So instead of just saying, how's your joy, because we're all here, so it's all good, right? I should say, how's your pandemic joy the rest of the week? You know, how are you doing it, holding up your joy in the midst of all the craziness that's out there? You know, and, and just when you think that, you know, the world's falling apart and, and everyone, no one, everybody hates everybody and no one wants to do anything. Last week I was at Lowe's and I came out and I had a couple of a big pieces of wood and I was... Uh, starting to load stuff in the, in, the, in the truck, in the back of the truck. And this, this dude, this guy came out, this shopping cart, said, hey, you want some help? And he helped me put that stuff. He grabbed the other side and helped me put that stuff in the back of my truck. And it, suddenly, I was reminded, there are good people. Now, was he a Christian? I have no idea. But certainly, that was a Christ-like behavior. So, so there are still lots of good, and there are still lots of great people. We need to make sure that we're doing our part to infuse the society, the culture around us with godliness. And sometimes that's just looking past our craziness, looking past erratic behavior, and being nice to people. Offering a helping hand, being kind, a kind word, because we certainly need more kind words in our culture today. And even those little things are reflective of Christ. So what are you doing to be the best disciple you can for Christ? Hopefully, we're working on all these things so that God can make a difference in our, not, not, well, through us, in us, but also so that we, God through us, can make a difference in our culture all around us. Won't you pray with me?
Father, we thank you for your word to us today, this reminder about the cost of discipleship as we seek to make a difference in this world. Father, help us to hold steady and hold true, learn to call things out, to call sin, sin. But we're reminded that that we're just those wayfaring strangers. We're just passing through. And as we think with eternity in mind, what can we do to help others see you along the way, to help others find you so that they might also uh, find out the cost of discipleship for themselves and what that means for them and for their families. Father God, we just we love you and we pray that you continue to open up doors of opportunity for us to be the hands and feet of Christ in a world that so greatly needs to see it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen. Well, thank you again for being here this morning. I hope that you have a, a wonderful week as you look for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Christ in a world that so greatly needs to see him.